Thank you for listening to the Rivers Church podcast with Pastor Andre and the Rivers team. Be sure to subscribe for a weekly dose of encouragement and inspiration to help your daily life. We pray that this message will help in whatever season of life you might be in. I came across a story of a very interesting woman. Her name is Betty Jean Rack, and she was known as Madam Rack, very unusual woman. She was a classical piano teacher in the UK for 50 years. Uh, quite an eccentric and interesting woman, flamboyant dresser, but brilliant on the piano and loved by her students. And she finally died in November 2020 at the age of 76. Uh, she had no relatives, her estate was open for auction, and an antique collector by the name of Alex Archbold, he decided, hey, why not? Let me pitch a price here and, and make an offer. And uh, he was after the piano, because he knew that had value. But he knew to get the piano, he had to buy the whole estate. So he thought, well, what the heck? You know, let me give it a go. I'll get the piano. And here, here's what he said. He said, I don't mind if I break even on the rest of the stuff, but as long as I get the piano. So he offered the equivalent of 166,000 rand for everything in the house when he really was off to the piano. Well, unbeknown to him, the house was filled with incredible treasures, antiques. She had been like a hoarder collector and had the house was filled with all sorts of art, vintage clothing, banknotes, old banknotes, silver bars under her mattress, some silver bars wrapped up in leaflets when they were packing away, newspapers, they, they, they fell out, and she had mink coats, artworks, and so on, and uh, he, he was quite staggered. And so they took some of the stuff, not all of it, and they auctioned the first batch. And remember, he paid 166000 for it and thought he could break even. The first batch brought in 4.7 million rand. They reckoned the next auction, they were guessing and estimating, could bring in 7.5 million rand on top of that. And this young man, Alex, opened a cafe. The piano's in the cafe. And uh, here's, here's the thought. He thought he would break even, but he discovered and more when he went into the house. I think many Christians are living their lives just hoping that they can break even when God has promised us treasures and, and more on top of our salvation. And I want to speak to you today about believing for the, for the and more of God, part three. We need to believe for the and more of God and not just live a limited salvation because our salvation is a generous one. And we've not just been saved from sin, we've been saved to something. How many of you know that? You're not, you mustn't just be grateful. Shrug, I think I'm in the kingdom, eh? Well, at least today I think I'm in. No, no, there's much more that God's got for you, spiritually and materially. You're not just barely forgiven you're generously forgiven. You've been made a child of God, and now there is and more. Don't live a break-even life. In Romans chapter 5, our salvation is described. It says, but the gift, that's the gift of God, of salvation, is not like the trespass. For if the many died by the trespass of the one man, speaking about Adam, he then says, how much more did God's grace and the gift that came by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, overflow to the many. 
you remember when we looked at Psalm 23? My cup overflows. God's got more supply than you've got container. And your salvation is overflowing if you would receive it. He goes on to say, for if by the trespass of the one man, death reigned through that one man, then use the same phrase again, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and the gift of righteousness reign in life through that one man, Jesus Christ. You're meant to reign in life because you've been given much, much more than sin brought into your life. See, Adam messed everything up, but Jesus more than fixed everything up. And now God's got and more for you, but you've got to believe it. You've got to trust for it. You've got to pray for it. You've got to expect good things in your life, not just to break even or to get by. And I can see you're all excited by that. Let me remind you, because you've forgotten. I shared this verse last weekend, Matthew chapter 7 and verse 9. But Jesus speaking here says, which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? No one would do that. Or if he asks for a fish, we'll give him a snake. If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more? You need to say it with me. How much more? Now you need to say it louder. How much more? That's the picture in Romans 5, and it's the picture here. How much more will your Father in heaven give what? Good gifts to those who... I think a lot in your life depends on what you ask for. We don't ask for enough. We're happy to just get, uh, get by and break even. If I could just break even, Pastor Andre, come into church. Lord, I'm here. I've had a bad week, but I'm here by the grace of God. God says, no, I don't, you, I don't want you to live a break even life. I've got bigger things for you. And you need to trust the God of and more. And that's not just an Old Testament concept. It's a New Testament concept. But today I want to home in on a passage of Scripture from which we're going to uh, have a look at some details. And we find that passage of Scripture in 1 Chronicles chapter 4. Now the first four chapters of Chronicles, the scribe Ezra wrote the book, and he records just genealogy after genealogy after genealogy. So-and-so begets so-and-so begets so-and-so begets so-and-so. And he goes on and on for four chapters and I think it's 160 verses, and then suddenly we see this man appear, and there's a description of him. He stands out, and he doesn't stand out because of his birth. He doesn't stand out because of his achievements. He stands out because of what he asked God to do, and God did it. He, dis he discovered the God of Israel, the God of and more, and trusted him, and his life was completely turned around. His name is Jabez. And we need to understand how this man's life was completely transformed. He came from captivity. He was from the tribe of Judah, and they would have arrived back from captivity in Babylon with lack and with need and with impoverishment, and he was born in difficult circumstances. Let's read from the book of 1 Chronicles chapter 4. It's just some 63 words, and it says Jabez, it starts off with where he ended up. Jabez was more honorable than his brothers. It starts off with his end, and then it tells us how he got there. Are you with me? God sees the future, not just your present. And this records, he ended up here, but this is how it happened. And it says his mother had named him Jabez, saying, I gave birth to him in pain. Yabetz 
is the word in the Hebrew. And, and here's the interesting thing. Even Jesus said this. He said a woman can go through terrible child pain, uh, childbirth pains, but then when the child comes, she forgets about it. But do you know when they named a child, they normally named the child on the eighth day when the child was being circumcised. So clearly his mother had not got over it. His arrival had not eased her pain. She named him. I will never forget. Whenever I look at you, I was in pain. How many of you would like to start your life by being called a pain? Your friends are calling you, don't be a pain. But your mother naming you a pain, it's not a great start in life. Maybe you've not had a great start in life today. That doesn't matter. It goes on to say, Jabez cried out to the God of Israel. I want you to notice that. Not just any God. And a lot of people say, the man upstairs, you're talking to the wrong person. That could be your neighbor or someone who lives in the same apartment block. You need to talk to the God of Israel. And he says, oh, that you would bless me. Four things he asked for. Bless me, enlarge my territory, let your hand be with me and keep me from harm so that I will be free from pain. And then this beautiful verse says, and God granted his request. He didn't accept his starting point in life. He prayed to Jehovah and God answered and gave him all four of those things. Now, before we unpack those things individually, bless me, enlarge my territory and so on, I wanna just make three comments here and I want you to note them and I want you to be reminded of them in your life today. Number one, no one need accept the limiting position of their lives. Don't just accept the limiting position of your life because that's where you come from, that's where you were born. It's not where we start in life that matters, it's where we end up. And he starts in pain, ends in honor, ends up being more honorable than others. From being below the pile, he ends up above the pile. They say the Jews believe that he was a medical doctor and of such high esteem that he had disciples that followed him and respected him for his integrity. The Jewish authors say that. But he stood out and rose above average. I want to encourage you to rise above average and not just to look at life passing you by, but to expect God to do great things for you. Orison Sweat Marden was a motivational speaker and he described someone who was successful like this. He says he was born mud and died marble. You need to believe God for that. You might have been born mud, but you're gonna die marble. You'll be a different level in your life. Amen? And I want you to notice here, his mother, sadly, passed on her pain to him by naming him a pain. Be careful that your parents have not named your future and that have passed their pain on to you. Because guess what? If you take that pain, you'll pass it on to others. It's time to end it. So that's where I come from. But no longer, I don't have to accept the limiting circumstances of my life. I'm going to be like Javis. I'm going to stand out. There's going to be so-and-so. If he gets so-and-so, and there's just the Mr. Average, and then suddenly there's me. That's not pride. That's faith. Can you say amen? Number two, God never rejects those who ask for more. Don't be afraid to ask for more. Why be content to live at a low level and to just accept what you've got? You need to trust God and believe for more in your life. It's so important to not be happy with what you've got. And I don't mean to have a greedy, restless discontent, but don't stop where you are because God doesn't reject those who ask for more. 
And he, you know, people are, how can you be so rude? You know, if you're visiting someone, can I have a second helping? You ask for more, God says, ah, you understand I have a limitless supply. And too many people accept life and just break even. Oscar Wilde, who I don't quote often, but he was a great literary genius, and he had a way with words. He says, to live is the rarest thing in the world. Most people just exist. Isn't that true? In other words, we just accept what life dishes up. We mustn't do that. Jackie Robinson was the first African-American black man to play in the, the, the major league baseball in America and a, quite a figurehead, quite a man of courage. And he said this, he said, life is not a spectator sport. If you're going to spend your whole life in the grandstand just watching what goes on, in my opinion, you're wasting your life. There's certain segments of South Africa that are watching certain other segments prosper and they're critical. Don't watch them prosper and be critical of them. Go join them because it's up to you. And you can reject the limitations of your life and you can ask God and he will listen to you. Number three, here's a third important thing. Hunger, desire, and prayer release the and more of God. It's not enough to just pray because some of us pray weak prayers. Oh God, you know my heart. You know how hard it's been. You know how unfair my boss is. And my friends, they don't, no one understands me. And I go to Rivers Church, I can't always get to talk to the senior pastor. So God, if, if there's a possible, you need to have a hunger, you need to have a desire, and then you need to pray, then stuff happens. And I want to remind you what it says in the book of James. Beautiful reminder. James chapter 5 says this, the earnest prayer of a righteous person. In other words, the word earnest there means you've got a hunger and desire, and then you pray, and it goes on to say, has great power and produces wonderful results. You've got, you, you've got to be so discontent where you are that you've got a hunger and desire that when you talk to God, God says, excuse me. That's what Jabez did. He called on God, didn't ask for, oh, if you could just help me, I'm in pain. He wasn't a victim. He said, I want more than just pain. I want you to bless me. And he expected more from God. And you know, you've got to be so fed up with your environment and your circumstances that you go to God and you, you, you pray yourself out of it. I used to pray the prayer of Jabez for five years every single morning and I saw massive results in my life. And the Lord's brought me back to it again and reminded me of it. There's a man called Mark Cain. He's a marketing strategist and he says this about your life. He says, the first step towards success is taken when you refuse to be captive of the environment you first find yourself in. See, if you want to move forward, you must first recognize where you are. And don't then say, well, this is where I am, eh? and if only. No, this is where I am, this is where I want to be, and I will not allow that to hold me captive because this is where I'm going. And then you pray, and you pray. you get a chance, you need to read John Maxwell's book. It's a fantastic book called The 15 Invaluable Laws of Growth. And in the book, he lists the number, the sixth law, and it's called the law of environment. And he tells in the book, and I read the book many years ago and just glanced at it again this week, he, he talks about how he was in an environment, a small church and so on, and then he decided he wanted a better environment, a growth environment. And, and if you'll never grow if you're not fed up with where you are. 
And so he said, he, des he described what the growth environment would look like way back in 1973. And then he began to seek it out and position himself in that environment. Are you with me? You need to do the same with your prayers. You need to say, this is where I am, but that's where I want to be. And I'm praying myself into it. And he describes it. I'll give it to you on the screen. You can only take a picture of it. He, he then, he listed it and he, he, he describes it. He says, in, in a growth environment, others are ahead of me. I'm continually challenged. My focus is forward. The atmosphere around me is affirming. I'm often out of my comfort zone. I wake up excited. Failure is not my enemy. Others are growing. People desire change. Growth is modeled and expected. I don't know if you realize, but Rivers Church is this environment. And if you're going to come here, this is a place where we're going to expect more. Not because we focused on money. We just believe for the and more of God. And so we need to not accept. We need to go to God and pray because he will respond to us. And then we need to have the desire to move forward. Now let's look at the four areas here that he prayed about. Number one, bless me. What a prayer. Bless me. Give me more than I have. So what a selfish prayer. Well, God answered it. And uh, it's okay to ask for God's blessing. In fact, let me remind you that after God created man in the book of Genesis, the first thing he did, the Bible says, was he blessed him. Now, what does that mean? In some churches, you, 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 you go to the priest and you say, bless me. Omnipotris, sanctus. And? Hmm? Blessing has got a specific, it's a very specific word. Baker's uh, Evangel Dictionary of Theology, Evangelical Dictionary of Theology, says firstly a blessing was a public declaration of a favored status with God. So when the Bible says as a Christian you're blessed in heavenly places, in Christ, in Ephesians, you, you, that's a favored status that you have as a Christian. You need to enjoy it. But then it goes on to say second, the blessing endowed power for prosperity and success. Because you favored, you can now expect success and prosperity. Ah, you're one of those prosperity churches. Maybe. Because the gospel is full of the and more of God. And if you want to label us in an ugly way like that, well, go ahead. But you will not deprive us of our blessings and the favor God has promised us. It's very important to understand the meaning of blessing. Years ago, I preached on it, and this is the meaning of blessing that I, that I think it's in one of my books. It's, it's to impart special favor verbally or by means of the material. That's why we sing, you know, the song in the Psalms, bless the Lord, oh my soul. Well, we, don't, we do give God money and offerings, but we bless him verbally. We exalt him and give him a favored status. Isn't that true? But then also, as we heard today in the offering, we give God money because that's the way we bless him. We bless the house. Are you with me? And then it goes on to say to be granted special favor with God, resulting in joy and prosperity. There's that ugly word again. I don't know about you, but I want to be blessed because I want to be able to take the denaro out my pocket and finance the kingdom on a regular basis. I don't just want you to do it. I want to be with you in it, building this in and blessing the kingdom and blessing people's lives. And I can't do it unless I'm blessed. Can I encourage you, don't just look for the blessing in the nice high-heeled shoes and the Louis Vuitton bag and the Land Rover. These are all wonderful things. We need to have that and more. 
so we can be channels. And you need to expect blessing. The Bible teaches it repeatedly. Some of you are like, oh, I'm not so sure. Psalm 132, I will abundantly bless her provisions, material. I will satisfy her poor with bread. God wants to bless the poor. He doesn't want them to remain poor. But clearly, clearly God doesn't have a problem with blessing, but most of us do, and we struggle. Just read the Bible. You'll see everyone that God engaged and took hold of was blessed. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, David, Solomon, blessed. Why? Because God engaged them, and the first thing he said to Abraham, I will bless you. Psalm 112, speaking about the righteous people, that means us. The generation of the upright will be what? Blessed. Wealth and riches are in their houses, and their righteousness endures forever. Material blessings in the house. Uh, Psalm 107, how he blesses them. They raise large families there, and their herds of livestock increase. Are you getting the point today? It's so important for us to believe for blessing. However, you know, whenever there's a however, you've got to pay attention. However, it's important for us to have a right relationship with wealth and riches and money. Because a lot of people don't have a right relationship. What happens is they get puffed up with pride. They then take the blessing and use it to be superior to others. Or they waste it on themselves only. We've got to have a right relationship. The Bible here teaches us in Psalm 62, don't make your living by extortion or put your hope in stealing. This could be a good verse to maybe put up in a government office somewhere. I don't know. Just, just the thought just occurred to me. If you work for the government, forgive me today. just had an evil thought there. But. And it says, and if your wealth increases, in other words, there's a possibility it could, don't make it the center of your life. See, many people are anti-blessing, anti-money. No, we're not anti-blessing, anti-money. We believe that it's a tool to be used to change the world. With money, you can build property. You can educate people. You can feed the poor. You can uplift your life. You cannot be a victim. You can be self-dependent. Then you can help others come out of poverty. It's a powerful thing. How can a church uh, not believe in blessing and then expect to help people? Are you with me? He prayed that you would bless me, and God granted his request, but we've got to have a right understanding. Jonathan Swift, the Irish pastor, said this, a wise person should have money in their head, but not in their heart. See, we need to expect it. Can I encourage you, if you come from a bad background, to believe God for blessing in your life? To come from a, a tiny apartment. I grew up in rented homes. Uh, we never ha ever had a car until I got married. Then my mother bought a car. Maybe I cost her too much, I don't know. We lived in rented flats, and uh, you must never look at your past and, 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 and never tell yourself, oh, you know, in South Africa, a lot of us are cursed. No, you're not. If you're in Christ, you're blessed, and you expect the curse to turn into a blessing. Can you say amen? See, even when you had a bad start in life like Jabez, God can turn it around, and uh, when the children of Israel were traveling through the wilderness, incidentally, the Bible says that uh, Balaam tried to curse them because he was paid money to do it. And I love what Moses says when telling the story in the book of Deuteronomy. You re read about it in Numbers, but in Deuteronomy, uh, Moses retells the story. And, and he says, on your way, when you came out of Egypt, 
And they hired Balaam, son of Beor, from Pethor in Aram Naharim, I hope you got that, to pronounce a curse on you. Watch this word. However, the Lord your God would not listen to Balaam, but turn the curse into a blessing for you, because the Lord your God loves you. God loves you today and wants to turn your life around. It's not where you started. You could start beneath, but you could end up more honorable. Pray for blessing in your life every day. Ask God to bless you that you might be a blessing. Number two, enlarge my territory. Is this helping you today? Enlarge my territory. In other words, give me property of my own. Give me land. Give me space. Give me security. Give me influence. Give me a large life, Lord. But I like the, you know, give me territory. I mean, you know, God wants you to own property. Can I encourage you? Don't waste 30K on a car and then rent an apartment for 10K. Rather spend 30K on a property and drive the 10K car and then when people look down on you, you just look down on them. <laughs> I've, driven, I've driven alongside many expensive cars and they don't intimidate me. And God bless you if you drive a very expensive car. Well done if you can. People drive three, four, five, seven million rand cars, but they're all financed and it's 100K a month. And then you go visit their home and there they've got bean bags. <laughs> no, no, you need property. Property is an asset. You'll end up with real wealth. Once you pay it off, you've got security. Your children have got something to inherit. Forgive me this morning for being so practical, but I see people not having a right relationship with money. It's not having it, it's not using it correctly. It's a tool. Make sure it unlocks the right doors for you. And here he prays for property, prays for his life to be expanded. He doesn't want to be a renter, he wants to be an owner. And you know, when you ask God for space and for more in your life, especially when it comes to living a bigger life, he'll give it to you. Axa, Caleb's daughter, was given land, and she wasn't happy with it. Remember we went through this? She asked her father, give me also springs of water. And the Bible says he gave her the upper and the lower springs. Clearly God is interested in you having property and it being a flourishing one, because it's a base of operations for you and your family and something to pass into the future. Ask him for it. Pray, Lord, enlarge my life. Don't live a settled, get-by life. Don't live a small life. Lord, make me a bigger person and give me greater influence and also enlarge my life and release my potential. How many of you know God doesn't just want to give you a physical property and you live a small life on it? He wants to make your life large too. Develop all your... You see, we've not just been saved from sin, we've been saved to a large life. And we need to pray and believe for that. Grace Hansen said this, and I think it's pretty profound. She wrote a children's book called Becoming a Butterfly, but she said this, don't be afraid your life will end. Be afraid that it will never begin. See, some people are just happy to break even. And Florence Latour, the authoress who wrote a lot about personality, in her book, Silver Boxes, she describes her father, and she said he always wanted to be a singer, but he never was. And she says this, he died with the music still inside of him. See, you need to pray for God to enlarge your life, bring out all your potential, give you land, and bless you. Number three, are you still with me? Let your hand be with me. Let your hand be with me. 
That's an Old Testament reference to the presence and power of God. He didn't just want the material. He didn't just want property. He didn't just want it to be all about him. He wanted it to be about God, and he wanted God in his life. And he recognized that his life without God would be weak and could fall back maybe into lack. He said, I want your presence. I don't want to be alone. I want a touch of God on my life. And I wonder how many people pray for this in their daily prayers. I think most of us, bless me, bless me, bless me, bless me. And then, Lord, when there's a church service, let it be really good. And make sure they do the latest Maverick City songs, or, Lord, we're going to be left behind. <laughs> no, we get caught up in the trendy stuff instead of praying for the deep stuff. How many of you know salvation is more than being forgiven your sins? God's got his presence that he wants to give your life. And can I, can I say this? When you pray correctly for his hand to be upon you, you won't be open to the stuff they say is his hand on you. Now, sorry to tell you this, but there are lots of churches where people claim that it's the Holy Spirit when it's just shenanigans. Emotionalism. I'll tell you why. You say, oh, Pastor Andre, you're not open to the Holy Spirit. I've been doing this for over 40 years. And this church was once called Rivers of Joy. We used to have people rolling on the floor laughing, doing crazy stuff. And you know what I noticed? Their lives didn't change. So I had to ask myself, is this God? Because God didn't come to play with us. He came to change us. When the Holy Spirit comes, He changes you. Let me give you a couple of reasons why you must pray for the hand of God on you. Because it's salvation and more. The early church got saved, but then they preached, you need the Holy Spirit. Oh, we didn't know there was a Holy Spirit. And then they laid hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit because it's salvation and the hand of God. Remember when the Apostle Paul got saved on the road to Damascus, the Lord sent Ananias to him. Why? Not just to be a buddy to him. I'm going to send you to Saul. He needs a buddy. He's got no friends. No, read with me here, Acts 9. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it. Saul here is, is blind. He later becomes Paul. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Notice, immediately something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. But wait, he's not done. He goes on to say he got up and was baptized. The Holy Spirit should lead you into obedience. I see people that have shaken and, and, and done all sorts of stuff that apparently was the Holy Spirit, but then they're not surrendered. Holy Spirit leads you to surrender, and he leads you to empowerment. Notice what it goes on to say here. It says in verse 22, yet Saul grew more and more powerful and baffled the Jews living in Damascus by proving that Jesus is the Messiah. When the Holy Spirit comes, he causes you to see and he causes you to understand Scripture. Paul was anti-Christian because the Old Testament Scriptures, as he read them, pointed against what they were saying. The minute he gets filled with the Holy Spirit, he suddenly sees, wow, and he understands the Bible. Do you know why we've got churches in the world today who tell us strange things and tell us your church needs to get with the program, you know? Your church needs to embrace all the things the world is doing, abortion, homosexuality, and, and you know, Jesus wouldn't have said a thing about it. You know why? They don't have the Holy Spirit because when you get the Holy Spirit, you understand the truth. He doesn't come to shake you. He comes to reveal the truth to you. Are you with me? It's very important that you understand this, otherwise you will misunderstand the purpose of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit does not come to play games. He comes to reveal Jesus to you. 
And if you have a wrong concept of Jesus, chances are you haven't got the Holy Spirit. It's very quiet in this Presbyterian church this morning. See, what the Holy Spirit also comes to do is he comes to change you. He doesn't come to say, you can be as you are. God loves you. Now he says, God loves you. Now it's salvation and more. Now you change. Let me read it to you. You're not convinced. For the Lord is the Spirit, 2 Corinthians 3 says. And wherever the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. So all of us who have had that veil removed, that's at salvation, can see, like Saul, we reflect the glory of the Lord. Now it explains how. And the Lord, who is the Spirit, makes us what? More and more like Him as we are changed into His glorious image. See, Jesus, speaking about the Holy Spirit, spoke about the Holy Spirit being a spirit of truth, not a spirit of emotion. John 16, but when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all the truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. So there's a sense of the prophetic, but it goes on to say he will glorify me. The Holy Spirit makes Jesus big and clear because it is from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. Too many people today have got their own interpretation about sexuality, their own interpretation about tithing, their own interpretation about living together, their own interpretation about same-sex relationships, their own interpretation about what church should be and how often you should go. I tell you, those people do not have the spirit. They just have barely got a break-even salvation. We need salvation and... And if that's hard, think on it process it, it is for your good that he's giving more, for your enlightenment. And we are meant to receive the Holy Spirit, to be empowered. The book of Acts says that you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you'll be my witnesses, and you'll be able to speak about me correctly and point people to who Jesus really is. And then he goes later to preach. Jesus speaks about it in the book of John. He says in John chapter 14 that when the Holy Spirit comes, he'll come as a helper, you come as a, some, some Greek words to use the word comforter or paraclete. It means someone that helps you. Listen, because Jesus has gone back to heaven. He says, I won't leave you alone. I'll put someone in you that will help you. You with me? It's like when you've got a big house, you get a domestic worker to help you. If the domestic worker arrives and falls on the floor and lies there laughing, you'll be like, sorry, the house needs cleaning. It's not that kind of helper. It's a helper who gives you the help to live and to do and to accomplish. You with me? We look for the wrong stuff and we miss out on his hand on our lives. Am I making sense? And so we need to pray, bless me, enlarge my life, enlarge my territory, release my potential, but then let your hand be on me. Change me, grow me, let me see, let me know Jesus and the truth. Number four, as we come to a close, keep me from harm. How many of you know we can be harmed in our world? And J.B. is here is not praying for a life free of difficulty. In fact, the Good News translation says, keep me from anything evil that might cause me pain. That's a more correct translation. And he's saying, if you're going to bless my life, please ensure that it don't end up in evil that will destroy it and cause pain. I mean, you know, the Lord's prayer, deliver us from 
evil. See, we pray for all our provision in the Lord's Prayer, and then we ask God to keep us from evil. And he prays here that his life would be free from pain. He'd have satisfaction and joy, and he wouldn't have to go through painful divorces or a second painful divorce or a, or a company that goes bankrupt. He says, Lord, keep me from those things. Give me wisdom. Keep me from that which would destroy me and take my life forward. And the Bible says, and God granted his request. How good is that? How many of you believe God for that in your life today? God granted his request. I believe we should pray the prayer of Jabez. We should all believe for what he believed. And we should grow in our faith for the and more of God. We hope you have been blessed and inspired by this message.